Radio. Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse time frames in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm, I'm here to help. My, my name is Nicholas Jensen. And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen. Today I have uh, a guest by the name of Clay Moffat. He uh, is not a hypnotist, although he hypnotizes people. Uh, he's not a coach, although he coaches people. He's not a licensed therapist, although I'm sure he listens to a lot of people's complaints. He's actually what we would call a mental alchemist. He changes the meaning of the stories that you're telling yourself. So I'm super excited to bring him to you and talk about how as business owners and entrepreneurs, we can overcome the hurdles that we face in our lives and really uh, change the the outcome of what we're trying to accomplish. So thanks for joining me, Clay. Well, it's uh, awesome to see you again, and I am happy to be here. And that was a pretty interesting intro. I like it. You like it? Dude, I just, well, I, that was off the cuff, my friend. And it was good. It was good. It was well done. <laughs> it's accurate, though. It's accurate. So <laughs> dude, it's, it's been a while since, uh, since I've seen you. How are, how's life? How's life, man? How you doing? Well, dude, even amongst this, uh, crazy COVIDness that everyone's calling the new normal things are actually pretty good. Uh, yeah. business has gone up, believe it or not, which is like a really rare thing to say at the moment. Um, obviously that, that kind of makes sense because more people need help at the moment than, well, that's not true. I'd say it this way. More people realize they need help because like they're fracturing in a way because the pressure from the outside or the perceived pressure is like showing their cracks and they're like, I need to sort this stuff out. You know, like there's no escape now. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, oftentimes we can numb our, our reality, if you will, with outside stimulus, right? So for example you know, going to the restaurant or hanging out to the movie or rather than actually sitting and facing the emotions or the feelings that maybe that we're, that we're, that we're dealing with actually having to sit uh, rather than being forced to sit with those, we can distract ourselves with other things. So with COVID, so Clay lives in Thailand, obviously I'm in, in the United States, although we're a half a world apart, COVID is still affecting people or, uh, the perception of COVID affecting people is is kind of the same across across the world. Would you agree with that or not, Clay? Because you you've got clients all over the all over the world. I do, though. Being real, most of my clients clients are based in the US. I've got a couple in the UK. I got a couple in Dubai and a couple in Australia. But so I'd, say, that... <laughs> I'd say like eighty five percent of my clients are in the US and Canada, bro. So is that uh, does is that telling about the US? Like, like, in all honesty, I laugh about it. I laugh about it, but... It is, to this point, not what you're thinking. Okay. People in the U.S. are open to getting help, and they're open to improving. So let's let's take an example from my home country, Australia. Now, everyone will just call you a wimp or other words that I won't repeat on your podcast, um, that you're getting help, right? Yeah. Whereas in Australia, it's like, oh, good on you. You're getting help like you're doing something for yourself. But in Australia, there's still this huge stigma about going and getting help. When I was in the military, when I left the Navy, 
like the drinking culture was huge, man. Like I used to get blackout drunk or what, what, do, you, what do you guys call it? White girl wasted, I believe is the term. And uh, I used to get like hammered drunk, not know anything. And I was like, everyone was just like kind of shunned under the carpet kind of thing, except when like you messed up real bad. But for the most part, we pushed under the carpet. And then when you said you didn't want to drink, you're like, loser, weirdo, what's wrong with you? Like, dude, like, it's killing me. I don't want to do it anymore. Oh, you're always weak. You're just this. I'm like, eh. In the US, if people go and seek help, they're generally, from what I've seen, more supportive. And they're more open to being coached. So that's what I think is so telling about it. So in your, per- in your perception, at least from your, your viewpoint, it's not necessarily that people are more messed up in the US or, and or Canada, but they're just more open to the idea of, hey, you know, maybe, maybe seeking some help could be beneficial to me. And I think it's got a lot to do with, as crazy as it sounds, sports, right? Because okay. you guys are huge on sports. We're big on sports in Australia too. But it's made like this cross into the professional world because they see all these professional teams with, the, with coaches and then offensive coaches, then defensive coaches, then special team coaches, then this coach. And it's like a thousand different coaches. And like, well, actually, that's like what's got the team to elevate. So maybe we should try taking it from the sports arena to the business arena and then kind of like move down there. And then you've got people like Tony Robbins who like started this massive movement and people who have like spread out through him, whereas Australia didn't really have that flash, that gnash. And in the UK, I'd say they're uh, more au fait, more cool with it than Australia. But I mean, it's, it's coming up. Huh, interesting. So when we look at the state of society today and we look at people's mental state, right? There, mm-hmm. I think there's this, there's this difference between an actual chemical imbalance in, in our brains versus our thoughts and the things that we're feeling that are causing us to maybe believe that, that there's a chemical imbalance or there's something actually wrong with us. And you really help individuals kind of reframe their mindset to one, get out of the muck, if you will. And mm-hmm. two, break break the next barrier, right? Go to go to the next level. And I know before the podcast, we were talking, and a lot of your clients are, you know, six, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs and business owners. And when you are dealing with those individuals, what are some of the the things that you see, kind of as a whole, the most common thread that you see across that demographic that they struggle with? Dude, it's it's. It's pretty interesting, actually, because most of those clients are more successful than me financially, right? And, like, we spoke about that briefly. But even though they're more successful financially, what's happened is it's like this whole COVID situation, but instead of the COVID situation causing it, their business has caused it. Now, I'm a strong believer in the fact that uh, money reveals character. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it changes you. It allows you to become more of yourself because what it does as a byproduct of the way society is set up is it allows you to feel more powerful and more in control. So more powerful and more in control of yourself or of your circumstances? Just, yeah, of your circumstances because you're allowed to buy options now. You can do this, you can do that. So therefore, indirectly, it's kind of more power of yourself. But if you've got all these internal character flaws, then they're also going to amplify. It's kind of like, uh, what's that thing? 
that super serum from um, uh, Captain America, right? It amplifies all the good and it amplifies all the bad. That's money. Okay. That's the way I look at it, right? And the more you have it, the more it amplifies. So if you've got a little bit of anxiety about something and then you get a whole ton of money and your anxiety, if your anxiety is about not having enough money, then obviously having more money is most likely going to solve that, right? But if your anxiety is about, am I good enough? If your anxiety is about, am I serving people in the right way? If your anxiety is about, am I providing for my family in the right way and what they need? Then more money is not necessarily going to solve that because, okay, now you're taking them on holidays and you're giving them this and you're giving them that and you're still going to be having in the back of my mind, am I doing the right thing? So what I find with these people that I'm typically working with is that I've got to the stage now where they want to take themselves to the next level. The business is already doing good, but they want to step up to become the leader that they know is possible. And the only way to do that is to shift their thought patterns and the way they are programmed so that they can start to clean up their thoughts, clean up their head trash. And then what happens is just this awesome follow-on effect. Like it's, it's ridiculous. Almost overnight. And I've got clients that I work with at the moment we started working like, ah, oh, so like how long are we going to need to work together to do it? I don't know. I said, we might be together just one month and then you're done. I don't know. I can't tell you because I haven't been inside your head yet. I said, however, I do know that you will notice a shift after the first session guaranteed. I said, there's no two ways about it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the, everything that you need, but you're going to notice the shift. And then we're going to work from there. And I've got like a couple of other things that I get them to do, which is based on accountability to keep them tracking and getting their brain moving forward daily. So it's always shifting in the direction that we want because I like that continuous, consistent process. And that's only something I've been bringing. Like I'm always refining, always building, always like seeing what else I can bring to the process to like just really crank up that value to give them, even if it's just an extra 0.1 or 2%. But what I'm noticing in the feedback I get, because I get daily feedback from these people, is like, dude, like I just wake up and I'm smiling on my face for no reason. And this is the first time in my life I can remember smiling for no reason. I used to always have to achieve something to a smile. And then this other dude was telling me that he was doing like a podcast call. Well, not a podcast call, we call it, like a group coaching call. There we go. Uh-huh. He's doing this group coaching call. And he's like, well, this is what we're doing. This is how it's going. If this is in line with you, great. If it's not in line with you, that's fine. There's a door. And usually, he'd be sitting on that line trying to convince everyone this is the right thing to do and this is how they're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know what? The freedom to just be able to say, Look, this is what we offer. If that's not for you, that's okay. And if it is, come this way. So what's causing that? Let's take the example of the individual that you said he gave you feedback. I assume it was a, it was a male, maybe it was a female, but gave you feedback and said, I, I woke up and I'm, I, I'm just smiling. So mm-hmm. what's going on in their head to where, let's say the day before or the week before they would have to achieve something in order to smile versus they find themselves waking up in the morning and smiling where there's been no outside stimulus up to that point, except for maybe whatever the dream that you were having before you woke up. Right. So what's typically happening is this uh, dysfunctional parent lives inside them. Now, when I say dysfunctional, I don't mean that their parents were horrible people. 
I mean that at some point something got imprinted and it shocked the child and the pattern stayed in there. And so now for them to be uh, loved or to get attention, they continuously need to perform. So anytime they're not working, they feel guilty. Anytime that they're not achieving something or they fall short of their own expectations, and they typically have high expectations, I know someone else who I hadn't spoken to in a long time who also has high expectations and may or may not be, you know, a little bit guilty of this, Nick, you know. Um, but uh, oh, p- 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 pause, 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 dude. <laughs> Did you just call me out on my own podcast? No, bro, I would never do that. I'm saying, like, I know someone, Nick, that might have been like this. I'm definitely going to say that. You know you. what? <laughs> Nonsense, I say. Nonsense. <laughs> but that person also sorted themselves out, got control, and is, like, back on target now, right? They sorted all their patterns out, and that's what this guy has done. So you're right. This uh, particular guy I'm talking about what is a guy, what wasn't a guy. He still is a guy. Right, and um, it comes down to almost every single time, unless it was an extremely traumatic event that happened in an older life, so like a, a death or witnessing like a crime or something like that. It almost always comes down to childhood patterns because we're just a sponge at that age, and we don't have the opportunity to go into our brain like at the time. Go, oh, you know what? This isn't normal. This is actually, mum or dad's drama, and we don't need to take this on because we're actually a good person, that's not how it works. We automatically assume it's our fault, and so we need to strive to get something else from there. Uh, interesting. So when you look at, okay, so l- let's kind of look, let's assume our, our brain is this big maze. Let's say, I, I, you know, seven, eight-figure business owner, super successful in their business, but they know that there's muck. It's kind of, and tell me if I if I'm looking at this accurately. I kind of look at the brain as a house in which it gets messy. So, for example, if I never clean my house, just over time, there's going to be a book on the floor. There's going to be, you know, dust on the uh, on the the baseboards. Dishes aren't going to get done and, and it just kind of becomes cluttered and messy. And for me and, and my personality, that starts to bring on more um, stress and or I just get more anxious when, when that kind of stuff is laying around the house. And I look at our brain as the same way. If we don't go in there and clean up those patterns, it could eventually even, you know, for a, a visual effect, it can become like a hoarder. If you look at a hoarder's house, crap is stacked to like the ceiling and there's a little pathway after you're stepping over garbage and mice running under the garbage that you can get from let's say the front door to the back bedroom Mm -hmm. i mean is that an accurate assumption of in order to to perform you've got to just like clean that mess out or or am i looking at that differently what are your thoughts i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's wrong man i mean there's there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat right uh-huh. And that, that is a very apt analogy. At the same time, it's not that it's like collecting dust. So like, let's talk about trauma for a moment. And let's just like define what that is. Okay. Now, trauma is when your neurology is 
overloaded. It's resources that it has to deal with an external uh, situation, an external condition, are overloaded and they're stretched beyond limit. Okay. And so the system effectively snaps. And it's like, nope, shut down, block, or run away, or fight, right? There are three options for dealing with a trauma. You freeze, you run away from it, or you fight it. That's it. Like, that's all you have. In terms of how your neurology responds, you have the sympathetic reaction, which is mobilization, which is either running towards or running away from, or you have the dorsal vagus response, which is shutting down, disconnecting. And this is like helplessness, right? When people just feel like gone, wasted, even disconnected from themselves. Like this is the best way I could explain it. Like you're in a room, you're sitting in this room and there's someone talking to you and you feel like you're surrounded by this plexiglass wall and you're just isolated, even though there's people in the room that you know that you love and you trust and you feel like you feel like an island. Right? And that is actually a perfectly natural response for some people. The problem becomes when that pattern becomes a prevalent pattern and they can't get out of it. And they can't get back into the safety. They can't get back into this safety measure. And that becomes the automatic pattern and then people just become helpless and start destroying themselves on the extreme. On the other level, what happens and, and the way I describe it is it's like, uh, it's like going skiing, okay? And you've got all these runs down the mountain. And what's happening is you've got all these runs to choose from, but all you're doing is going down these same runs that you learned when you were a kid. And you're growing older and older and older and you've got all these other things open to you, but you can't see that the park is open. And so you keep going down these same runs and you keep traveling the same path because it's what you know. And you don't actually know that you have these other options. You see, a lot of people say that you can, well, not, not a lot of people, but I've heard people say, I'm going to help you unlearn this. I'm going to help you stop this. It's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you're helping them see the bigger picture, see that they have more options. And excuse my language here, buddy, but if you've got shit in this hand and you've got like a beautiful cake or dessert in this hand, what are you going to choose? Mm, you're yeah, always going to choose the cake. I'm cowboy, gonna, dude. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you're still going to choose the cake, man. <laughs> the, smell, the smell of the... <laughs> the smell of the... Smell of the meteors. Brings back memories. <laughs> but um, the point is, when you're given that choice, because up until you do that work, you don't realize you have the choice, so you keep going down those same runs. And those okay. same runs were good when you were a kid. They worked. And they're okay when you're an adolescent. They work too. But now you're in the business world. It's inappropriate. It doesn't work. Okay, so and let's so, take this let's take this to a, an entrepreneur or business guy. So he's mm-hmm. been going down the same runs or she's been going down these same runs. They've built a successful lifestyle from the outside world. People looking in, they're like successful seven, eight figure entrepreneur, but they've been doing it off these same, these same tracks, if you are, these same runs that they've been taking. We, it's interesting to me that they're able to even build something like that 
by okay. going down these same runs. So here's the difference. Okay. Here's the difference. So they could have these same runs, but these runs might not be triggered by where they're currently at in the business because they're not triggering uh, levels of like, I don't belong or I'm in over my head or I've overstepped the mark or am I providing enough value for my clients or am I deserving of this? Then for some people, I mean, it's, it's a pretty certain number. I think uh, it's typically around 700K is the first one and it's usually around about 3.4 million is the next. When, so when you around, say, are, the, when are you talking about those being the hurdles? Like when they hit about 700K, they start to recognize these things? Yeah, it, it's, okay. it's weird, man. Uh, like when I, when I do my research, when I'm like speaking to people, so I'm like, oh, what are you earning now? Like what's going on? Because I need to know, right? I need yeah. to know where they're at. And typically it hovers around that. And then again, around the 3.4, I'm like, all right, no worries, let's go. And I have no idea why, but that's just where it is. Maybe it's so because what it, you're saying, what you're saying is at 700K, and let's say around 700K and about 3.4 million, people start to recognize uh, or start to pay attention to some of their flaws that bring in self-doubt. Is it, Am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, you could call it self-doubt, okay. but I mean, it might not even be self-doubt. It might just be uh, a simple program that they've managed to like put off to the side because they didn't need it. But now their business is growing to the scale where they've got to start employing an actual team and not just using contractors. So now they've got to lead their team. And like, well, why is this person listening to me? Like, who am I? I haven't really done that much in my life, you know? Uh, and they literally, when you're having a conversation with them and I'm speaking with them, they'll speak like, oh, Clay, how you going? Yeah. And they just like, the whole volume starts shutting down and they start shutting down and they start disconnecting from things. Hmm. because what's happening is those patterns are coming out and they weren't before. They were there in the background. They were ready to be skied down, but they, they, they managed to just avoid it. It's like, Oh, I don't, I'm, I'm not leaving anyone. You know, like I've just got a whole bunch of contractors that work for me. So it's not really, you know, my company, I'm not responsible for them. I don't need to do this. I think you can push to the side. So how do, from your, point of view how do people start to to recognize i mean it's easy to recognize when you're like in the mock and you've kind of at your wits end right that's easy to recognize Uh, what not so much okay so so let me let me rephrase that or let me let me restate it how can people start to recognize these things that may potentially be holding them back when kind of on the front end, when it's easier to fix versus I am stuck in the mud, I'm not moving forward. It's really apparent that I'm not moving forward and, and I got to figure out what's going on. How do people recognize that sooner so they can start to make those adjustments? And what are the signs? And I don't know if there's like a kind of basic or standard signs, but what are some of the things that they can pay attention to to be like, okay, this could potentially be an issue and I may need to figure out how to fix it. Well, it kind of depends, right? So there's a couple of things. Pretty much most of the time it has to do with like these childhood things, right? And there is 
really only in one of the schools of thought that I've been taught, there's basically three child modes that you have available. You have the vulnerable child, the angry slash impulsive child, and the happy child. Now, the happy child is pretty self-explanatory, right? Playful, easygoing, curious, fun, and like lighthearted. The angry impulsive child is either irritated, angry, raged, impulsive, or defiant. And then the vulnerable child is anxious, sad, lonely, despair, helplessness. Okay, so it seems like everything that you just described are things that can show up as as an adult. Oh, yeah. It's a child mode. Okay. So we refer back to these behaviors when we come under certain stresses. Okay. Right? And when we hit these uh, certain stresses, like uh, suffering from strong feelings of abandonment, right? Even in the company of close friends or family, they suffer from uh, abandonment. Then maybe, you know, a parent left the family or an important attachment. So to like a grandmother or grandfather was super close to the person died when they were really young, right? Or they had to like, uh, they were a foster child and had to go from house to house to house. Or they were, uh, what, what we say, like a military brat. Had to move from this town to this town to this town to this town and always leaving friends and always feeling left out kind of thing, right? So, I mean, it can happen in so many different ways. Um, it can come up as like mistrust, right? So it can come up as abuse, which we don't really need to go into, but, you know, because there's like different ways of abuse, right? It can come up as shame. But what happens is there's like a emotional deprivation that seems to happen and a a certain scene will start coming up. So like a certain mental scene? No, so more like a so for vulnerability, right? If someone's going to this vulnerable mode, black and white thinking is an indicator of it. It's this or it's this. There is no gray area. Now, granted, there are some things which are like, it's this or it's this, right? It's either nighttime or it's daytime. Pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Water is wet. That's pretty obvious. It's not that it can't be, it can't be anything else. Like there, there are some things. But there's like contexts where there's a pretty big gray area, you know? And people that... Uh, so let's let's go with this because this is going to be a common one. So in business, you're making a decision. Your business partner's like, uh, nope, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And then let's say that uh, your wife was on the side of your business partner. And so now you're hurt and you feel abandoned because she has supported them and not you, which has got nothing to do with not supporting you. It's got to do with helping you in your business and growing the business, which is what you asked for. Like, oh, well, like, give me your input on what you think would be good for the business. So they do that. And then you're like, oh, but you didn't support me. But I did what you asked me to, which is you wanted my support for your business. And I think you'll make a mistake. That's what it is. So then they're seeing it as like, oh, it's a small critical remark on the behavior. And so now like it's this huge attack when it wasn't that. 
is black and white. You see what I mean? Yeah, makes sense. Right? So that'd be an example of like the vulnerable one. With the, with the angry mode, it's uh, so for me, I'll give you a classic example for me, the computer, man. Like I love this computer and it hates me. Like I'm working away, working away, and all of a sudden, poof, just shuts down. Like what? Like what the hell just happened? And like shake it, turn it on. Like 10 years ago, that computer would have been thrown through the damn wall and I would have gone hit it with a golf club and like just bashed it. Like gone into like a full rage. Now I'm just like, what? Uh, and I'll just like turn the computer off and I'll just leave. I'm like, I'm not even wasting my time with you. You're done. You're dead to me, computer. And I'll just go do my thing. But without word of a lie, 10 years ago, I would have probably replaced this computer 15 times this year. It's just crazy because, you know, in Thailand, they have power outages and they cut power all the time. So all the work I'm working on would just be lost and like crash. And so, yeah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. But it's, uh, so think of road rage, okay? Yeah. That's, road yeah, rage that's is excessive. It doesn't need to be there. Oh, my God, that dude cut you off and you're not going to have to wait an extra 10 seconds to get on the off-ramp. Your life is ruined. You should definitely go get that iron bar and go start smashing up his car because that's a totally appropriate reaction. Definitely do that, right? There, there is no logic to it whatsoever. It's like um, everything's exaggerated, everything's irrational, and it's extremely emotional, and that's like the impulsive or angry. Now, obviously, impulsive doesn't actually have to be angry, but they're usually combined together. So if a, if a business owner recognizes one of these childlike behaviors in themselves, whether it's uh, a vulnerable child or an angry child, and I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's basically like acting like a child, right? So if they yeah. recognize these types of behaviors, what can they do to start to clean up the mess? Like what can they do to start to reprogram the, their brain, for lack of a better term, to start to open up the, the ski slope and see the other, see the other runs, see the other potential, the other opportunities and rewire, uh, their, their thought processes. So you're probably going to really want to slap me for my first answer, but, um, LSD and magic mushrooms. Yeah, dude, I'm not going down that road. You know me, bro. Like that. Uh, yeah. I just had to do it, man. I had to do yeah. it. Too. I'm sorry. Not a, not <laughs> no, a chance. <laughs> In all seriousness, right? In all seriousness, let's put that to the side. I just wanted to mess with you for a bit. <laughs> so one of the best ways to do it, and I've, I've done this with myself, and uh, in recent times I've started doing it with clients, is you start naming it. So I've got a process which I call 10 Things I Loathe About You, right? I loathe, like like hate, like loathe? Yeah. Okay. 10 and Things I, I so, Okay. Like it, it, it's in one of my challenges that I do. And the idea is you write out 10 characteristics about other people. It doesn't have to be a specific person, but other people in general that like just grind your gears. You know what I mean? Like really, really jack you off. Like, man, I can't stand it when people are like, oh man, I hate it when people don't have manners and they don't say please or thank you. Like, whatever the hell it is, right? Like pet peeves, so we'll call it. Mm -hmm. So you write them out. Then you get a list of 10 things that you absolutely love about other people, right? Like these are the things that light you up. When people do these things for you or, they, or you see them doing for someone else, like 
that's a top person. I like that person. They're good. And they've got a good heart. You know, so you write them out. And then you're like, okay, if you saw someone acting with these things, give that person a name. So for me, I've got two names. I've got Gollum, you know, like that little crazy thing from the Lord of the Rings. Um, I've never actually seen Lord of the Rings. But... Ah, so I just think of like this, like really degraded, disgruntled midget that's lost all his hair and it's like just filthy teeth. Oh. Like just... I've seen yeah. pictures. I know what you're, ta- I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I'm with exactly. You. All right. So that's Gollum. So like, that's the person who's behaving like a complete jerk. And then in Australia, we've got a saying called the golden haired child. I don't know if you guys got that in the US. And the, the golden haired child. Like, head, no, the golden haired. Golden haired. Golden haired. Golden haired. Okay. Yeah, it's like, it's like the favorite child because you can't do any wrong. So you've got gold hair, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we so, call it in oh, the US, it's the golden child. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm yeah. with you. So Goldie is the person that's doing everything right because you know the golden haired child. And Golden's this. Now, the trick about that whole exercise is out of those list of 10 things, typically the five things that annoy you the most are five things that you do. And you carry shame about doing those things. And the 10 things that you really love are the things that when you do them, make you feel really good about who you are. Uh-huh. So when someone who I know catches me doing these things, they're like, oh, Gollum, stop it. And like, you just laugh at yourself because... <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like, yep, I'm being a golem. Got it. And then when you're doing the good things, like, hey, Goldie, good work. So it's like you start reinforcing the negative, that this is a negative way because you don't want to be like that because that's how you see other people. And so you can already, your, your brain automatically starts mapping towards that. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, I remember that jerk. I don't want to be like that. I mean, so I'm being like that. I'm cutting that out. And so you start doing that. And then you start reinforcing this. And... Another way you can do that, so I've done it through visual processing, so like uh, reliving scenes. So if I have a scene that comes up during the day and I'm like, oh, I was a total golem in that situation, I'll go back at the end of the day and I'll review it. I'll review that situation. I'll see how could I have, like what characteristic could I take from Goldie, put into that that would change the situation, and I'll literally play it out through my head. Uh, okay, well, how can I generalize that out to the future so it starts going that way? And so I start taking situations as they come out. And the good situations where I'm doing really good things, like, okay, well, how can I make that better? What else could I add into that to do it even better? And I start generalizing that out. That makes sense. So it sounds a little bit like kind of the, have you ever read the book Psycho-Cybernetics? Many times. Yeah. yeah. So the the piece in the book where Maxwell Maltz talks about uh, kind of the theater, if you will, like reviewing, replaying um, life as well as, playing those scenes that you want to want to have happen. So it sounds like it's a lot of kind of re, uh, subconscious mind reprogramming and, and things like that, which has always fascinated me, uh, the subconscious mind stuff, because we deal in such a tangible world, right? Touch, feel, smell, things that we can. And, and when you realize that the subconscious mind plays such a huge role in our lives and our results, but you can't touch, feel it, and and the reprogramming of it is more of a tangible activity versus a kind of a subconscious mind activity where you can't really touch feel it's like this elusive ghost to me that i'm like okay how do you like trap and pinpoint that little son of a gun to be like dude 
we're doing things differently and this is how we're doing them versus like you're like trying to herd cats you know what i mean <laughs> get all these get all these things doing the same thing at, at the same time so that's what it sounds like is through these tangible activities of you know visualizing and and uh you know naming naming the bad behavior one thing and the good behavior another thing it helps to kind of reprogram that stuff is that is that accurate it's very accurate and i'll go one step further and what you're doing so what maxwell Maltz talks about is like creating these things what you're doing so most people don't think that might sound like a really huge statement but they don't they don't think they remember and so they remember what they did and they replay what they did over and over again. So what do they do? They strengthen those neural pathways. So when it comes to happening again, what do they do? Oh, well, I've rehearsed that a thousand times. I'm just going to do that. So what you're doing is you're starting to mentally rehearse what you want instead. So you're actually thinking. You're going through a superior loop where you actually start to change the way you start to think. Because by going through and go, you review the situation like, I didn't like it like that. How do I want it instead? Okay, what would I need to have happen for me to get that? Well, automatically, you need to be feeling different so you can start thinking different. State always precedes story. Always. Hey, pause. Pause on the go. So when you, say, when you say that, so let me, in your opinion, do thoughts precede feelings or do feelings precede thoughts? Which comes first? No, no, no. State precedes story. So what I mean by that is your neurology will react before you create a story. And you'll create a story to rationalize why you're feeling what you're feeling. So is the idea is to change the story? Is that? Right. The idea is to change the feeling. Change the feeling. But that if was caused by it, the state? That is the state. That is the state. But tell, remind me again, what was that caused by? The state is, so in polyvagal theory, they talk about neuroception. So you have perception and neuroception. Okay. Right? And neuroception is like your neurology is being conditioned to respond to this external stimulus in this way. So I am overwhelmed. I don't have the resources to deal with this. This is out of my comfort zone. Boom. Shut down, withdraw. So okay. I've shut down and withdraw. Now I am scared. Because I'm scared, the bad man wants to hurt me. The boss wants to fire me whatever it is doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case right i'll give you a really really classic example where this gets blown out of proportion guy or girl sitting at the desk working typing away get an email 4 30 on a friday afternoon from the boss hey can you come see me in my office what was the first thought that went through your head uh dude wants to hang out tonight right some people say i'm going to get fired some people will say, I'm going to get asked to work over the weekend. State precedes story. Okay. Because you're in a good mood, you're also a very uplifting guy, you're a very confident guy. You'll most likely look for a positive outcome. But because other people will be down in their hole and they think, oh, I'm just not worthless, the boss doesn't appreciate me, blah, 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 blah. Automatically, the first thing that's going to happen is like, oh, I'm, he's going to ask me to work back. And you know sense. what? Maybe it is. Maybe the person does actually ask and work back. But how do you know until you open email? 
But if you're already in that state, when you open the email, it's going to like, oh, it's going to make it even worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, exasperate it. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Okay. So going back to business owners and, and really trying to break the, the next level. In, in your opinion, I mean, we deal with a lot of uncertainty, right? So sure. dealing with this uncertainty, do you deal with it the same way that you deal with kind of these mental blocks? What do you mean? Like reprogramming the way that you think about it, meaning being more optimistic about uncertainty versus more pessimistic. Is that the best way to deal with, with the uncertainty? The reason that I bring this up is like the state of the world that we're in right now. Like people can say, Hey, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Well, as entrepreneurs, we're kind, we kind of deal with a lot of uncertainty in general, at least in our, Mm -hmm. in our business. I think as businesses mature, there's more data to back up or it creates more certainty because you've got more data to look at, but especially when you're starting, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. And I think people in general right now in the state of the world feel like there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward, right? And, and it depends on, on where you live at and things like that. But here in the US, a lot of uncertainty around, you know, who, who the next president of the United States is going to be. A lot of uncertainty around the economy, a lot of uncertainty around, you know, jobs. And although some of that stuff may change, I think there's also some uncertainty that, that never changes, never goes up, never goes down. But the question is, what advice would you give to individuals as the best way to deal with uncertainty in their lives? It's a pretty morbid approach, to be perfectly honest. So your approach, like the, the question is morbid or, the, or, your, or what you're about to tell me is morbid? What I'm about to tell you. <laughs> the question's not morbid at all. No, look, a lot of people say like that the, 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 biggest, the biggest fear that people have is public speaking. Okay. And I'm like, eh, I don't believe it. Like, what do you mean? Now, I've been at seminars where people have, uh, have said, like, and I've seen videotapes of seminars that weren't supposed to be videotaped, where uh, this guy said, oh, I've got a fear of public speaking. And so the uh, guy calls him up on stage and then um, pulls out a loaded Ruger sticks it next to his head and says, start speaking. I'll kill you. Guy started speaking pretty quickly. <laughs> so obviously his fear of public speaking wasn't as great as his fear of death. So okay. you know what I mean? Like it, people like exacerbate things drastically and they, they over-exacerbate inside their head. But when the reason why I say it's pretty morbid with my answer is no one's certain about when they're going to die. No one knows when your time is up. It's up, right? You can't really argue with that. It's going to happen one way or another. And it's the, it's the guaranteed thing that's going to happen. The only other guaranteed thing that's going to happen from now until that point in time is change. And taxes. Now, no, taxes aren't even certain either. Dude, you don't live in the U.S. <laughs> Dude. So I told you it's going to be real morbid. I told you. I knew you'd say that. So... <laughs> If uh, if a baby's born and it dies at three months, will it ever pay taxes? Okay, okay, good point. I get you. Right? Okay, good. So point. The, the only thing that's that is absolutely certain is death and tax, uh, not taxes, but, but <laughs> money now. death and change. Right? They're the two things that are like undeniable. And exactly. some people 
work so hard at trying to stay the same that they try to fight the change instead of recognizing that it's going to happen anyway. So you can either, and I spoke about this briefly, you can either be the protagonist of change, the one that's going forth and making it, or you can be the antagonist of change. Now, out of those two, the protagonist is way more comfortable, way more easygoing, and much more rewarding. Now that, I, I mean, I think that brings up a good point. Like I know in my life, the more that I'm willing to accept change and actually kind of relish in the experience of change, mm-hmm. no matter what the outcome is, like it's, it's a better experience. Like it's a more enjoyable experience versus trying to fight against it. So, so, I mean, you, you bring up a good point. If we look at our lives as, Hey, there's a lot of, you know, let's just say there is a lot of economic uncertainty and presidential uncertainty and job uncertainty and things like that. If we stay in, if we stay in the present and just enjoy kind of what's happening and make the best decisions that we can, no matter the outcome, that's, that's going to be a better experience, if you will. Agree well, or disagree? I agree. Okay. Because if you're always trying to make decisions from a future aspect, you don't even know whether you're going to be able to get that outcome anyway. But if you're always making the best decision that you can possibly make right now for the future aspect, then you're always going to be making the best decision possible. But if you're trying to make that decision now for that future aspect based out of anxiety, based out of fear, you're ultimately being motivated by fear. So I got called, called a sociopath earlier this year. So um, Dude, that was a good day. It doesn't really surprise you, I'm sure. So I woke up and I saw all these quotes on Facebook, people saying life is short, make the most, well, make, uh, what was it? Make hay while the sun shines. Like I was just seeing quote after quote after quote. I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, Really, life is short. Tell me something longer that you're going to experience. Right? And then after I posted that, like uh, one of my mates sent me a message saying, hey, bro, did you hear the news? Kobe Bryant just died. I'm like, uh, that's why everyone's saying life is short. Okay? Bad timing on your end. Well, (laughs) not Not at all because I still stand by it. I still stand by it right now. I'm like, his life wasn't short. And this is what my whole thing was about. Like, if your life is a book, do you want a 1,000 pages of fluff or do you want a 100 pages of absolutely compelling story that's going to have people holding on for their dear life to read it to the very end? Or do you want something that people are going to put down and not even bother finish reading? So it's got nothing to do with it being short. He lived more lifetimes in his years on this planet than some people are going to live if they live to be 100. That's, so I, don't, that's a, I don't believe that. I don't believe that his life was short. I believe the complete opposite. I believe he had so much value in his life. So I was up now. I can't say the same for his daughter. That's really messed, messed up, right? I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say that his death wasn't a tragedy. Right. But to say that he didn't have experiences and he didn't have these things. And more importantly, which was my main point, 
to motivate people that life is short so you need to take action is to motivate them out of fear. And whenever you motivate people out of fear, it's this short little thing and you keep need to doing it again and again and again and again. And that's not a meaningful life. To continually live your life out of fear? Yeah, not for me anyway. Yeah. Did you bring up a, I love that book analogy. You bring up a good point. Like, what would you rather have? A thousand pages of fluff or a hundred pages of like just content that the people cannot put down? Right. Yeah. Dude, that's a hundred pages any day, man. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. And I think we need to approach our lives like when we look at lifestyle design, I think we need to approach it that way. When we look at our business investments, I think we need to approach it that way. When we look at the the legacy that we want to leave behind, dude, if we all took that approach of I want to live the fullest life possible, if nothing else, dude, that's a lot more exciting life than just kind of this, hey man, I got a thousand pages of fluff, but I didn't really ever do anything uh, meaningful, meaningful or great. So, and that's going to come back, man. So, like, so I, I see guys. I've got this uh, a buddy of mine, client's buddy, and he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And uh, his boy's a quadriplegic, and a sweet kid, really sweet kid. And the guy looks after his son. And he says to me, hey, man, like, I, I just don't have a purpose. I'm like, are you kidding me? He said, you've got the best purpose out of anyone. Like, you're here to guide your son. That's it. He's like, I said, the thing that you think you don't have a purpose is because you're not sure how to do that best for him. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. The fact that you can be there and be his rock so that he can depend on you, that is a life worth living, man. You don't need to go and, and be like Kobe or Michael Jordan. You don't need to do that. You don't need to go change the world and invent this the most amazing thing that's going to uh, destroy all the plastic that's in the oceans. You don't need to save the Amazon rainforest. If you get fulfillment from raising your family and just being a good dad, a great husband, that's a meaningful life. But also, on the converse, if you're not the kind of person that wants to get married, if you're not the kind of person that wants to have kids, and if that seems like the most life-draining thing in the world to you, don't do it. Go chase that dream of building the Fortune 500 company that's going to, I don't know, revolutionize fuel by making it out of algae and stop all the drilling in the ocean. Fantastic. Awesome. Do whatever allows you to feel that. There's no right or wrong way to get in touch with that. And there's no thing that's more significant or less significant. I remember reading a book, a very, very old book, but it was like a, a watered-down copy. And there was this black prisoner in France and he was being transported out to some island to be hung. And on the way out, ship caught fire. They unshackled him and he got up and he saved like 10 or 15 people. This is a true story, right? And this is not like a fictional story. Uh-huh. So when they finally made it to court, he saved the ship. They got there, they pardoned him. His crime wasn't a big crime anyway. 
But if you had asked that guy before he got on that ship, you know, what, what, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? He would have told you nothing. But that fire, that suffering gave him purpose and he stepped up and he rose up to it. Right? Like with my friend, his son suffering is what gives him purpose so he can step up and he can help him and cater to him in the best way possible. Right? To business owners that are going through hell right now, I know there's a lot of them that are, especially with this whole COVID stuff. The suffering is not necessary to test you but it will help you get to the other side so you can start to live in that. Dude, that's, uh, that's great advice. And I think when we, when we look at um, our lives in general, and, and one of the reasons that maybe I'm so interested in this topic is I've just realized over the past you know, five, six years of how much we need to really focus on our, our, our minds and our mental states and shifting our perspectives, right? It's easy to, and I, I fall into this trap. It's easy for me to go to the gym every morning because, because I enjoy it. Um, and I've just kind of gotten into the habit and, and I like it. It's less easy for me to sit down in a chair and get quiet and focus on changing some of these neural pathways, right? Like really focusing on trying to consciously direct thoughts in a certain, in a certain way. But I think it's super, super important. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of like creating that habit that, that allows it to, uh, to strengthen because it, it's kind of a muscle, right? And, and as business owners, I think it's important that we take that time to, to do that. I'm kind of being a hypocrite right now. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's super, super important. And I'm like, I really, really struggle to do it. <laughs> So, yeah, but struggling to do it doesn't mean that you never do it. Yeah, but I'm less Man. consistent. Like, sure. like if you if I wake up in the morning and the choice is okay, you got to go to the gym or you've got to work on uh, your mental strength, dude. Like I'm going to the gym every time. I was going right. to say it twice on Sunday, but that's not true. But I would go Why? to the gym every time. Why? Uh, I think one because it's a habit. Two, I. I've seen the benefits of it. Like for me personally. Thank you. In my That's life. it. Leave it right there. Forget about you like the gym. It's because you're seeing the end result. Yeah. Now what I, happens with the mind, and this is this is the interesting thing. Hey Clay, do you need Go. me to flex for you right now? Flex right now. Show me. <laughs> show me. Take I've got two tickets to the gun show, man. Show me. <clears throat> so um a lot of people believe that with the mind. It's like, I'm done. And it can be. And when you're working with someone else, it can almost always be like that because you are not guiding the process. So your conscious mind, even though we're having a conversation, your conscious mind isn't thinking about what's next and what's the process and how do I do this right? When someone else is guiding through the process, you can just let the process be as it needs to be so you're not necessarily consciously paying attention, consciously checking for the right step, consciously making sure of these things. Now, also, depending on how well you can sensualize what you're doing. So you use the word visualize. I use the word sensualize. Because when you're doing your mental processes, mentally, you detect what something looks like you detect what something sounds like. 
you detect what something feels like. You detect what something smells like and what tastes like. All those receptors go into your brain. They are mental functions. Think about when you work out. You smell the gym. You see the equipment. You listen to music when you work out. You feel the bench and the weights. You're using all of that. You taste the sweat in your mouth. Maybe not sweat, but you can definitely taste the saliva when you're like pushing and grinding it out. So I know for a fact you've got all those things. You're invigorating all your senses. Why would you not do the same with your mind? That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. If you want to improve your results drastically, bring in all the senses. And it will take time to train, and that's the other thing too. Now, I know when you used to ride rodeos, you used to do Macwell Maltz and stuff, and you got great results. And I guaranteed you, it's also because you were bringing in more than just the visual aspect. You might not have known it at the time, but you were calming your thoughts with what you were saying to yourself while riding the bulls. Even the tone of how you were saying things to yourself while riding the bulls was different. Right? All these things come into play. And they're all necessary. But you've been training at the gym consistently for a long time. So, of course, you're going to be better at it, Nick. There's no competition. Sure. And I, and I think that's what it boils down to, right, is we have to, we have to make it a priority and a focus. So, no, no, no. Dude, st- it's uh, uh, hold on, man. No, you don't have to make anything a priority. And the second you feel like you have to make it a priority, you're not doing it for the right reasons. Okay. So, but, but think about this. If you don't, if you don't make it a priority and you mm-hmm. don't make it a focus, then you're going to continue to ski down these same slopes and you're never going so to get changed. So you're doing it out of fear then. I, yeah. Okay. Right. But, you're doing it out of, so this is, this is huge, man. Like, don't, don't, don't gloss over this. Okay. There is a massive... Let me give you something that I know will make perfect sense to you. All right? You have people who don't want to be broke. Sure. You have people who want to be rich. They are two very different focuses. Some people will argue with me, no, no, it's the same. No, it's exclusively different. Because what you focus on, you get. The focus here is broke. The focus here is rich and wealthy. Now, you ride mountain bikes. Yeah? I do love me a little mountain biking, my friend. Right. So you also know that when you're going down some trails, the one thing you do not look at is that damn boulder in the middle of the trail because you will hit it every time. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I've exactly. had a few of those. <laughs> you look where you want to go. You look where you want to go. If you don't want to be broke, you are looking at broke. Sure. If you want to be rich, you're looking at rich. If you don't want to have the same thought patterns, you're going to have the same thought patterns. If you want to have new and better thought patterns, you're going to want to have new and better thought patterns. Not because you have to. And that's the thing. If you're doing it because it's a necessity, the moment you think it's not a necessity anymore, you stop. Think of it like this. This is probably the best way I could explain it. It's like a diet. 
you're doing this diet because you want to fit in your wedding dress or because you want to get to like 10% for a bodybuilding competition. And then bang, you do that, it's over with and you let yourself go. This is a lifestyle change. As you said, lifestyle design. Right. It is not a fad. It is not something that is just used to get you somewhere. Meditation is not just some nice to know thing. It is a process. And the more you do the process, the better you get at it, the faster you're going to get results with it. Dude, those are those are great great points. So what so what advice? I'm a six, seven, eight figure entrepreneur. I'm listening to this podcast. I want to go to the next level. What advice, Clay, would you give them to get started? What's what's one thing they could implement today to get started? Dude, that's real tough because I have no idea where they're at. But well, maybe that maybe that's it. Trying to maybe that's it. Recognizing where they're at first. Before you go into any self-development program, you need to learn to manage yourself. Think about it this way. This is like this is like a revelation I've had in the last six months. So I've been going through program after program that I've bought, that I've paid for, all the trainings that I've done, even my own programs. I'm like, what is it like the fundamental thing that's missing from all this? Because no one ever gets it right. No one ever gets these things done. And I'm like, well, what about this system that I did worked? What about this did not? And went through analyzing everything. Why does a business succeed? Because they manage it. They manage the numbers, they manage the profit margins, they manage the revenue, they manage the balance sheet. They manage aspects of the whole unit to get the bird's eye view. If that business is a reflection of your personal life and you manage your business and don't manage your personal life, you can't develop a business that's not managed. What makes you think you can develop a person that's not managed? That makes sense. So what, what advice would you give them to start to manage themselves? Like, are you talking uh, mental management? Are you talking uh, physical management? Are you talking process management? Like, There's a whole bunch of things, dude. Like a lot. Right, but right. let's break it down into five quick areas for people. Your environment, your health, your relationships, your personal development, your business. Now, if they are an entrepreneur, it's business. And if they're not an entrepreneur, it's career for that last one. Right. Makes sense. Sweet, man. Well, dude, Clay, I think this is, dude, this has been fun. This has been, uh, this has been a good time kind of reliving some of the, some of the things you and I have talked about in, in the past is, is always fun, but seeing the advantages of being able to, to work on our, our mental game, if you will, to mm-hmm. get to the next level is always, is always a good discussion to have. So if people want to reach out to you, if they want to connect with you, if they want to work with you, how would they get, how would they get a hold of you? That is an excellent question. <laughs> You're not this, yeah. elusive, this elusive ghost in Thailand. Like there's gotta be a way for people to actually get a hold of there you. Now, most people just connect with me on Facebook, but I'm telling you now, if you send me a friend request and I don't know you, I'll ignore it. So send me a friend request and send me a message with the friend request because if you're that dude that's like a creep at a network meeting that goes up and just like gives people their business cards and walk off, like 
we're not going to have a good relationship. So like if you actually walk up to people and shake their hand, introduce yourself, I'd like the same thing on Facebook. Like I'll do the same thing when I meet people, right? Otherwise, you can go to my website. There's application forms on there or you can even just email me, go at claymoffitt.com. Again, please intro yourself and uh, we can see what we can make happen and whether we can do something to go. Awesome, Clay. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, my friend, it's always, it's always good to chat with you. Everybody, uh, thanks for listening and we will talk to you next time. See you. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit my website at www.nicholascjensen.com or follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Nicholas Jensen underscore. That's at Nicholas Jensen underscore. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because you do not want to miss out. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.